Okay, listeners, we have a real treat lined up for you today. I'm honored to introduce Deanna Ransom, the new executive director at Women in Revenue, which is an organization that is near and dear to my heart. Dana and I are so excited to have this chance to connect with her and hear all of the cool things she's working on right now. Deanna has been an active member of Women in Revenue and was appointed to the board in 2021. She helped with the formation of the community's DEI programming, which is a critical initiative of Women in Revenue, and also helped in spearheading the up and coming programming to help companies nurture employees through their ERGs. So, some really cool stuff. She's the perfect person to lead this amazing organization. I'm super excited to hear what she's got to say. So, let's jump in. Wow, Deanna Ransom, it is so awesome to have you here. I feel very humbled that you've joined our our little podcast here and having known you over a period of time, really excited about what you're doing. So let's share with our listeners what's hot and what's cool with with you, Miss D. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I am so stoked to be here today. What's hot and what's cool? I mean, I'm excited to now be here at Women in Revenue and to think about the great things that we're doing. And I think that as we continue to unfold this new version of ourselves to serve our members, I think that it will be hot, cool, and exciting for everyone connected. We love Women in Revenue. So, Deanna, so you've had an interesting ride to get here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey till you got to Women in Revenue? <laughs> Ooh, I'm give you abbreviated version. Just uh, keep all the juicy stuff. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna hold that. Women in revenue, we tend to say that that is those that are in marketing, sales, or customer success, right? So it's funny. My journey started in customer success, and then I moved on into sales all within technology, right? And then over into marketing. So I went from being a sales rep into field marketing, which feels like a pretty good natural transition, right? And then on into demand generation and brand and strategy and eventually to be CMO. And so I have an appreciation of what I like to call the revenue engine, right? And so to me, it's I definitely see this alignment across those three components in order to create revenue for an organization. But I also think that other parts of the organization are a part of that, but I'm going to keep that to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So your role at Women in Revenue is, is executive director. It is a new role. So tell us a little bit about I mean, I was on the board for a few years as a founding member and know all of the amazing things going on. So stepping into a role as a new leader, essentially executive director is like the the CEO for those unfamiliar with the nonprofit world. But tell us what that's been like. You've been at it for what, two months now? Yeah, yeah. Two whole months, which is the <laughs> equivalent of two years in other <laughs> lives. But you're spot on, Carrie. It is stepping into essentially the CEO role. And so really the strategic vision, direction, and everything that falls under that for the organization overall. And I will say this, it's been amazing with the founding members, which includes you, Carrie, have been able to build up until this point. Our programs are second to none, and we're looking to elevate those and build and expand on them. But ultimately, part of what I see is how we're going to be able to support what I am calling the necessary dual components to really create parity and equality, right? And that is supporting corporates to be able to create more inclusive cultures built on authentic core values that allow women and other diverse groups to really not just be present, but to be heard, valued, and appreciated, but then also to empower and build the women so that they own their superpower and their presence, and they're able to do their part so that we create this new metaverse. I'm throwing it out there. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I have two boys, so this is all too familiar. I said, it, I said it. The new metaverse where we have 
true equality, true parity, and true inclusion. I'm kind of over diversity initiatives that want to bring in different types of people, but they don't reshape the culture so that the people they bring in can be heard, valued, and appreciated. Oh, goosebumps. I know. That's amazing. (laughs) So those are huge undertakings, Dana. I mean, what has been... I know you've only been here two months, but what's been kind of the biggest shift from kind of more that corporate role into the nonprofit? And it's amazing because now we have such a mission behind it, right? Not that we don't have it in B2B tech, but but it's not as, it's definitely not as probably fulfilling from that perspective. You kind of hit it spot on. It is the amount of fulfillment that I think I know personally and professionally, being able to take everything that I've gathered across both B2B and nonprofit and bring them together to serve a greater good. But I'll be very honest, I probably have a really weird perspective, and that is nonprofit is just as much of a business as profitable businesses. We're just taxed differently. So if we look at the taxable piece and we kind of sit that there, We have to have vision, mission, goals, strategic priorities, right? We have to have operational efficiencies in order to achieve the outcome. And so part of stepping in these past couple of months, and again, for me, it's reimagining and revolutionizing the work that's already been put into place, right? And it's building on it. So I call it strengthening the foundation, so that we can move into what we know in B2B as scalability and repeatability, (laughs) right? To be able to serve more of our members, to be able to support our sponsors in a way that serves the greater good. And so I'm looking at finding the threads that maybe have not been woven together as tightly as they could and weaving them together looking at what makes sense from a logical perspective to really start reimagining the things we could be doing. What is the art of the possible? And then what is the realistic plan to get there, right? And how does it serve all of our audiences? Because although we're a member-driven organization, we are here to serve our members We also have an accountability and a responsibility to those who are donating and sponsoring us, right, in order to make sure that all of that comes together to achieve the mission. And so for the past two months, I've just been diving in, having conversations, listening to her. I mean, when you come into an executive role, what do you do? right? You're 30, 60, 90. You start getting under the covers. You start having the conversations. You start building the relationships and evaluating so that your moves will serve the new strategic vision that you want to go towards. So inspirational. Yeah, it's so inspirational. I I agree. And I think having been involved in women and revenue and kind of understanding the role that our male colleagues play in our success. And I want to point out that the organization is, is male friendly, if you will, you know, we don't, we don't hate all. Men are welcome, but you got to hang out with us women. Well, I have to tell you, you know, Dana hears me talk about this, but it's happening less and less. But as we're prospecting clients and having new conversations, you know, one of the first things I'll do is go look on the, the leadership page. I'll look at the executive team and I'll look at the board members. And if I see middle-aged white guy, middle-aged white guy, middle-aged white guy, middle-aged white guy, it's like, I'm not interested in even having a conversation with these folks because either A, they're not trying hard enough or B, they don't give a shit. And neither of those are people that we want to do business with. And I think the the momentum behind Women in Revenue is giving our male colleagues the opportunity to say, hey, I give a shit and I want to try hard to make sure that the executive team is represented of the people that we sell to and the people of the organization so that we can, I mean, Tracy Eiler talks about the stats, but, you know, organizations that are more properly represented are much more successful. And, um, you know, we see that over and over again. The stats prove it. I mean, you go and I go and I look before I would go and join any executive team at a B2B company. I go and take a look and I'm like, 
Where are you? Do you even have diverse leadership in place? And what do you call diversity? If it's still, and I'll be honest, I'll go one step further. If I don't see folks that even remotely kind of resemble me, I'm like, well, this means it's an uphill battle for me, right? Or I'm breaking ground, which I don't have a problem doing because I've spent pretty much a career doing that. But you're spot on. You're not trying hard enough or you're not being intentional is the word that I use to really start to shift the dynamic and understand that not only are companies that are have diverse leadership enjoy greater profitability, they also tend to enjoy greater retention because they bring in diverse talent that feels valued. And I'm going to go off on a tangent, right? Do, do. we love it. <laughs> Just for a second. Here's my tangent. I always encourage companies to really think before they start down a diversity initiative to make sure that that is married with equal passion to an inclusivity initiative, right? When you bring people in, but you haven't reimagined the culture in a way that holds management accountable for actively listening to and incorporating the thoughts, ideas, and feedback from diverse talent so that they can be heard, valued, and appreciated, you're gonna find yourself on a treadmill. The treadmill will be, we bring in diverse talent, they don't feel heard, they feel unappreciated, they leave, and then we hear the, oh, well, we're having a hard problem retaining talent, I don't know why. Let's stop doing the same motions and let's recognize the work that is going to have to be done organizationally in order to support being able to hire and retain diverse talent. Rant done. Yeah, love it. But it's not just checking a box, right? And that's it's not just checking a box. To be che- Absolutely. Like I know it sounds like I'm being super passionate, but there's nothing worse than doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Like that's a sign of, I'll be nice, insanity, right? So if you want something different, you're going to have to do something different. And if it's a box to be checked because of optics versus an intention to align your core corporate values to be able to authentically embrace diverse people and their perspectives and their voices, then don't do it. Yeah, because then it's not authentic, right? Right. And then there's the trust is broken. It's a bad experience for everyone. It's a bad experience for the company, but you are then hurting very talented people and wondering why they don't want to necessarily sometimes return into corporate structures. And it's because they don't want to feel that way. There's a old quote that reminds me of it's something like fail often, don't fail at the same thing more than once. Because when we fail at it again, we didn't learn from the first time. We're not paying attention. It's not intentional. Fail all you want, learn and learn from your failures. So, And I can imagine, Deanna, that it's frustrating to kind of hear people give lip service, right? And I, in defense of kind of that lip service, it's some people just don't know what to do, right? And so I think there is a learning opportunity of this is where we need to go and this is how we can get there. And part of that, I'm assuming, is part of the strategic plan that you're putting together. And it's not just lip service, right? We absolutely have intention to create this environment that allows everyone to be heard and appreciated. However, for those of you who don't know what to do, here's a roadmap. Because we don't know, right? And we don't know what we don't know in, in a lot of cases. So I think it's a huge opportunity for you. It's nothing but opportunity, right? If you think about which one of us knows everything to do. Okay, so that would be none, Yeah, right? Nobody knows everything. My kids think so. My 15-year-old teenager, 16-year-old. <laughs> so I'm like asking the question, but answering it. Like that, none of us, right? And if you don't know... What an amazing opportunity, because that gives you the opportunity to go with intention and seek out information and insights from those who can help you. And what happens is this learning exchange happens, right? And you're able to then craft something meaningful. 
that you can put into action. The challenge is, and I think I heard one of you say, Deanna, it's got to be frustrating to hear lip service. It's annoying as you know what I said. <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> you can you say it on I'm our podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice here, but to hear lip service or to understand that sometimes it's, oh, how quickly can we check this box? Because ultimately the intention is to be able to have numbers as opposed to be able to have change, right? And we understand, I'll use a business analogy, in B2B, we know that there are so many startups that don't make it, right? A lot of that is many times owner founders sometimes have challenges getting out of their own way, recognizing that what got them to a certain point is not what it takes to get them to that next point of revenue growth, right? It is the same thing in life. It is the same thing in business. It is the same thing in nonprofit. What gets you to one state is not what is going to get you to that next place. So what I will go back and kind of acknowledge with Women in Revenue is Women in Revenue created this amazing charter and really leaned in to be able to help empower women and help corporates Right. And they got to a certain place of being able to move the bar for equity, for inclusion, right, for parity. And then they recognize, because to Carrie's point, coming in as the first CEO for women in revenue, there was a recognition that we've taken this as far as we can this way. But if we're really going to achieve what we want, we will need to do something different. We need someone to reimagine the vision, reimagine the infrastructure, look at this from another perspective outside of our own to get us to another point. That is the place of growth. Yeah. Well, it's so important in a leader, right? I remember hearing a presentation so many years ago. I was probably in my 20s and it was CEO speaking and somebody asked him how he'd been so successful. And he said, I hire people that are smarter than me. It's a motto I've always, you're so right. So it's a maturity in leadership, right? We get to a point where it's like, I've got to be able to recognize that I can't take it any farther and I need to hire people who are smarter than me and not be threatened or ego-based and all this shit that gets in the way of it. And Girl, you just said something. <laughs> yes. So I just, it's, it's so important to get out of our own way because as you said, that's where growth happens. That's where change happens. You know, we don't have to know everything. I have to be smart enough to find the people who do know the things I don't know. And then when you do get those people, freaking respect them and listen to them. Like there's nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh my God, you just triggered me. I'm <laughs> going. There's nothing worse than being brought in as a leader, and I've experienced it, and I'm not saying that here at Women in Revenue, but in other situations where, okay, you bring me in because, or you bring in any other leader because of their expertise, because of their perspective, and then you bring them in, and then you want to tell them what yes. to do. <laughs> well, what am I here for? Wait right? a minute. <laughs> and that is not, part of it is respect. And it's a about moving past your fear of letting go, right? Like you have to let it go. So you have to trust that you made the right decision and put it in the hands of the person you hired because you saw something in them and you've got to relinquish control. And I get it. It's hard when it's your baby. Like example of a startup, you got it here, but you might be the tech person. You don't know how to run a business, right? So it's okay. You're the mind behind this and growth still needs to happen there, but we can't all be everything. None of us are all of everything. And smart leaders hire people who fill in gaps for their weaknesses and trust them to be able to execute and to bring that peace to the board. When I've built teams, when I've built marketing teams, right, when I've aligned with sales teams and sales leaders, part of that is recognizing, listen, I don't need to know every detail of this. I brought you in for that, but I am a smart enough leader to listen and to understand how the pieces go together. And I can still provide insight or be able to say, 
great. What barriers do you need removed? How can I move anything out of the way so that you can be successful? Smart enough to recognize that the success of the people that I bring in ultimately is my success. Yeah. So I think what you're saying, Deanna, is that for organizations to achieve full inclusivity, they need to kind of follow this idea of not just hiring for diversity, but hiring for this inclusion piece and then trusting the people that they bring in to actually help make it happen which again, I think is the hard part, right? If it were easy, it would be easy, and then, right? And you know, we keep talking about, and it sounds like I'm shifting gears, but I'm not. And what I'm going to mention is we talk about hiring people in, we're hiring for diversity, and we're going to give you a seat at the table, right? But what's missing from an inclusivity perspective is you give me a seat at the table that's set in the particular way that you are accustomed to doing it, you put tape over my mouth and you tie me to the damn chair. Oh, did I oh, say yes. that? I'm sorry. We like it. Go. <laughs> you tie me to the damn chair. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You just want me to sit there and provide an optic at the table, right? And then you wonder why they're frustrated, why they're quiet in a meeting. And I think a lot of women can relate to being mansplained, right? There's nothing worse than you're sitting in a meeting and you say something and it's a terrible idea. Three minutes later, someone else says it, and suddenly it is the best thing anybody's ever heard. And you're like, <laughs> what the hell just happened? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that is, to me, sometimes, is it that you couldn't receive what I communicated because of where it was coming from? That means it's not that my voice isn't loud enough or that my presence isn't there. It's that your bias caused you not to be able to hear it because of where it came from. So now we've got to go and be a lot more intentional about removing unconscious bias, about calling out management styles that don't recognize the input and the ideas of everyone that is sitting yeah. at that table. Yeah. I went off. Ooh, yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. Wow. This is an amazing We, we can go on this all day. So I think. Oh, yeah. no. I know. We want that because that's where the good <laughs> conversation happens, Deanna. So, okay. So we've, we've talked about kind of where we're at. We've had some great conversations. So we know in order to get where you're at, there's had to be some failures along the way. Although we just said failure, you know, all good because we're going to learn from them. But so you had mentioned when we talked previously about some echo chamber death. Sounds very interesting. So why don't you tell us all about this oh shit moment? <laughs> it was pretty shitty. I'm just going to put that out there. Think about, you know, a need to launch a new product. There's nothing that's more exciting than when product folks have a new product and they're so excited about it. <laughs> like, oh my God, the world wants this. And I had a leader on my team in marketing that was supposed to be the liaison to the launch of the product. And for some unknown reason, she took the word of the product people that this was what the customers wanted to hear. I am really, really big on customer feedback, voice of the customer, making sure that what we do is really based on them. But in this instance, there was a trust of product. And I'm not going to say that it was bad. It would be great if we could, but we are supposed to bring that balance and we didn't. And when you don't, you get what I call this echo chamber of death. <laughs> There's nothing worse then everyone going, isn't that great? Yeah, it's great. We're great. Oh, great. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's great. We're so yeah. smart. Yay. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, we're wonderful. And we put that out there, right? Here's our great product. We know you want it. We know you love How us. How could you isn't not? Isn't it wonderful? Get it. How could you not? We added this feature and that feature and it functions and it does this. You want it? 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 And... Some customers were like, what the is this? <laughs> this isn't even what we asked for. This is not what we wanted. Let me tell you, we have never seen a failure of a product launch that large. And of course, 
I had to own that, yeah. right? I mean, honestly. What leaders do, Deanna. <laughs> what we do, right? So then I'm sitting here. So of course, I'm owning it. And then you kind of go to the the leader who on your team now, and you're like, what the hell? What just happened? Why didn't you? And she's like, oh, but the SVP. And then I learned. So here's another thing. This was a female leader that was on my team. And it was her job to lead the product launch. She was liaisoning with someone who had a title that was higher than hers and felt a certain level of intimidation. Did not think it was a problem enough to raise it to me, which I wish she had, right? Because I would have said, no, let me go talk to them, right? I could have removed it as a barrier, but she viewed it as being collaborative. So here's a learning moment. Part of what in Women in Revenue, it is not about titles. Every woman needs to understand if it's your role to do something and you're working with someone who has a higher title, that does not negate your voice. That does not negate your due diligence, right? And this was a different time, right? So maybe that empowerment wasn't there. But just in case somebody's listening now, a higher title is not an automatic that what they say is what you do. You need to do the proper due diligence, right? Because at the end of the day, I had to own what was rolled out, right? And then I ultimately, we had to go fix it and clean it. But that echo chamber is what many companies do. Instead of doing the hard work of going and having real authentic conversations with customers, of wanting, so you ever see a marketing campaign and it's what the company wants to say, but it's not what the customer wants to hear, right? And so there's this mismatch. Get out of the echo chamber of how great you think you are, of how great you think your product is, and be willing to get some authentic insight that can help you have a meaningful dialogue, a, a campaign that will resonate Right. And I'm big on I no longer like campaigns as a marketing leader. I have said that I prefer conversations. I'm really big on that because a conversation means a message is put out, but it isn't communication unless it's received. So my marketing teams, I've learned to tell them, I want you to think of this as a conversation. When you're reading the emails, when you're putting anything out there, social media, anything, are we able to then get real authentic conversation that's bi-directional with those who we're trying to talk with? Boy, that's loaded. I know you've got a lot to say about that data. Well, the content side, Deanna, right? I go, I look at content and I'm just like, I'm like, oh, we've got a lot of content for that campaign. And we look at it and go, no, you have, you have product brochures that nobody cares about. And and it's amazing that we're still here. And I've probably said it 10 times throughout these podcasting, but I just, I thought we'd be over it by now, right? I thought we'd move past the product, me, 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 me content. And what's so fascinating to me is spending thousands, thousands, and thousands of dollars on this content to just talk about yourself. And But I guess it shouldn't surprise me because a lot of social media channels out there that just talk about ourselves and it's kind of what we do, B2C, B2B world. So it's a it's a shift if you can actually have a conversation about what the problem is and how we might be able to help you solve it without trying to sell you, you know? Yeah. It's the water cooler conversation, right? It's what this validation of what we think the customers want as we're standing by the water cooler, as opposed to just going out and actually asking the customer, what do you want, right? But think about it. You've just touched on that from a content perspective and the marketing perspective. Think about what we've been talking about in terms of equity. So I'm going to keep going large. In terms of equity, how long have we been having all these god darn conversations? We can fix this stuff. We're smart people, right? The question is, do you want to take the actions in order to do it? Think about dating. It's a bad dating situation. You go out with somebody and you're just sitting there talking about themselves <laughs> yes. and you're just sitting there like, okay, so why am I here? Yeah. You don't right? need me here. You, just can't. <laughs> you don't even need me here. This, this is where companies, people, teams that distinguish themselves 
are those who get the need to shift from conversation to action. Yeah. I think also we talked earlier about about trusting yourself and having faith in yourself and trusting your gut. Carrie and I talk about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that your colleague who was faced with a larger title, giving her input and her singing his collaboration probably felt it in her gut. Like, I don't know if this message is the right message, but she didn't feel she had the voice to speak out and say, let's back up here, right? Let's go talk to you. Let's go talk to the customer. Let's talk to the sales team, right? Let's get some other feedback before we roll out this multi-thousand dollar campaign that's going to hit the wall. New product thousands. <laughs> but we've all been there, right? I mean, all in our careers, we've all been there and not spoken up when we should have, right? And because we were scared about, would we still have a job? Would I not get the chance to do something bigger or different later on? I mean, those were it's how we came into the workforce. So it's, I get it. Like, I get why she didn't. I do. But Carrie is spot on about the fact that when we went through, because I tend to do feedback loops with my teams. I don't do them at the end of the year and I don't do them quarterly. I do them monthly, right? And I do that because I don't think it's fair for anyone to continue for too long in something that isn't working right and then come and say, why did you do that, right? So she did know. She recognized two things. And let me tell you why she ended up getting promoted. A, she had self-awareness to recognize I should have pushed back, but I also should have said she should have alerted me, right? So you could have supported her, right? I could have supported her. And the other element was her willingness to go, I appreciate that you owned it. This was my screw up. Would you please give me another opportunity to fix it, right? And I am very understanding of the fact that, A, we all mess up me included, I have needed people to give me another chance and to believe in me. And not only did she step up, own it, and then knock it out of the goddamn park. Like, this is so serious because she really leaned in and learned. And this is where when you have a trusted leader and you can get good, honest feedback that is for your good, with the best intention, it can make all the difference in the world. And this is where mentorship is meaningful. This is where you trust yourself enough to also then allow yourself to be vulnerable, but only to the right people. I do not recommend being vulnerable to everyone. Right. Well, we talked earlier before the call, right, just about how we've gone out to too many people for opinions, right? And you were saying, right, I mean, we want some trusted people that we can go to and bounce ideas off of, but we also need to start trusting ourselves and we don't need to get a consensus of a hundred people before we no. make a decision, right? No, I don't. We're not crowdsourcing. No. Uh, <laughs> what she said. As much as we should before a product launch, we don't need to do that in our lives. I love it. You're spot on. I, I mean, I don't know if maybe we're going to talk about this later on, but one of the things that I've thought of telling myself, like when you do reflection and it was like, man, I wish I had known that then. Part of that for me would have been trust yourself so that you don't end up having to unfrankenstein yourself from trying to take all of this feedback from varying people with varying agendas, honestly, right? So that you can actually be your authentic self. That's where you're going to do your best work. That's where what you bring to the table is going to shine because nobody else can bring it to the table but you. Carrie and I talk about that a lot. When we make mistakes, often it's because we didn't follow our gut. Like we'll know, well, like our gut was telling us not to and we felt pressured to make a decision or do something else or sometimes feel like you have no other options, which you always do, but you feel you make decisions under pressure instead of taking a breath. And then even though your nagging gut is saying, don't do it. And even over the three years of having the agency, we'll go back and go, yeah, our guts are probably telling us we shouldn't have done that. Bad hire for I've sure. Right? The one where you hot. I'm like, something's telling me no. And and you send them around to the committee, right? Because you put a committee in place because you make a decision in a vacuum. 
And folks, are, and they're like, oh, she's great. And you're just going, my gut says that, and HR, and everybody's like, and so you're the only naysayer, right? And you're like, man, okay, so maybe I'm missing something. And you make that hire. And then they get in the door and you're like. And it's normally like, you know, within that first week, you're like, damn it, I knew this wasn't right. And for us on the client side, we've brought on a client that it's like, we just knew we don't think they're a good fit for our culture and maybe not so nice or said some things during the sales process that we didn't dive into enough to really understand what do they mean by that? Or maybe mansplained and, us and we overlooked it for the revenue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we <laughs> went, who turns down revenue, Deanna? We're a growing agency. And now we go, well, we do now because I don't need this shit. That right. So, hashtag. Yeah. yourself. The revenue you turn down today creates the space for the right revenue, Right to be able to show up because what happens is imagine allocating resources to this client that is a pain in your ass. Oh, did I? Oh, it was mm-hmm. coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Giving your time and your energy to this pain in the ass client, right? And now another client comes, but you don't have the resources to be able to take that client on, which is a much better fit, right? And so being able to say no is equally as important as saying yes. And I have learned that no is a complete sentence. Like, I don't need anything else behind it. The answer is no. You don't need to explain it. Yeah. The answer is no. I love that. I love that. Does that work for your teenage son, Dana? No. The answer is no. Well, half the time he doesn't hear the no because their headphones are on. So they're like, were you saying something? (laughs) Yes. I just answered your question with a no. (laughs) Learn how to read lips. (laughs) That's real simple. Oh, I love that. It's really simple. I I always swore, and I don't do what my parents, I had a friend early on who said, don't say things like, well, maybe or later because kids don't. My answer is just, no. Are we going to do it later? No, or I don't know. So stop asking. I don't know what I'm doing two hours from now, let alone two weeks from now. (laughs) Just no. I love that. I think that is a quotable statement. You know, no I is love a full it. Sentence. There's so many tidbits I, I in this podcast. That. I'm like, I need my pen and yeah. paper. I'm going to have to go back and listen. <laughs> Deanna is. I know. I need all of the Deanna-isms. <laughs> Well, and I wanted to, there was something that you had said earlier, Deanna, that I wanted to circle back to. I mean, you have like the perfect experience to be the leader that you are, right? Having all the things that we've talked about, but but that customer success, that sales and that marketing kind of trifecta of understanding, I mean, that really gives you an understanding of the customer in a, in a way I think that is super unique. And, and as a lifetime marketer, I've worked really hard to try to get in the mindset of the salesperson and the mindset of the customer success person. But for you, you actually have experienced it. And that's, I think that is one of the many things that's going to make you super successful at Women in Revenue, which we're excited to to watch what happens and support you in whatever you need in your role there. That so is so exciting. You know, I ended up in marketing very selfishly as a salesperson. I'm, I'm so honest. I, I, mean, I love it. It was super selfish. So I started chatting up and I realized my goal was I want more hot leads, right? Again, this is another time in life. So it was like, I want more hot leads. I need to make friends. This was, it was completely selfish. I need to be better friends with the marketing folks, with the field marketing people, so that when they get hot leads, I am the rep if it's in my territory. I'm kidding. I, I, I want them to automate. I don't want them to put them into the round robin for everyone that shares the region. I want them to give them to me. It was really, really selfish, right? It was something. I didn't get to go to assertiveness training, but that's something else. <laughs> I think we should circle back to that story, Deanna. So, you know, we can go there. I really don't mind, but I ended up in marketing because of having conversations to get more leads that were hot and then wanted to figure out. And why is it so hard for y'all to get me a hot lead that I really want? Right. And so from there, it kind of shifted to, huh, I like this marketing stuff. Right. And 
then I ended up moving from sales into field marketing, natural transition, because at the time, field marketing really was just married to sales, right? Doing it out in the field and such like that. And so that was literally my transition from sales into marketing. It was really about me getting more leads. Carrie and I talk all the time, the best marketers come from sales because you get it. Ultimately, that's what we're all trying to do as a team is sell more. And what's the way to do it? And how do we work together to do it? So it's just, you come in with such a different view of how things really work out there. I mean, like we're marketers, we do leads, we send them over and then go, how come they didn't work? They were really good. I paid good money for them. How come those sales <laughs> folks didn't upgrade CRM? Yes. Let me tell you. Why <laughs> are you not putting notes in Salesforce? <laughs> right? All of that. But I still didn't get to go to assertiveness it. training. So So let's talk about that. Let's talk. I agree. We like to round out the podcast with what advice would you give your your 20 year old self? Right. And I think we've talked a lot about trusting yourself is, is important and also speaking up for yourself. And you have an interesting experience that or a point of view that I think will probably resonate with a lot of our listeners around kind of speaking up for yourself and standing up for some of the inequalities that we're talking about. So why don't you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I know earlier when we were kind of getting ready for this, I shared about my experience when I was in sales that all of us that were moving from inside into a account executive type of role were being sent to assertiveness training. At that time, our leaders were called bums. Business unit manager, worst name in the world. I'm going to go talk to my bum. I had to go talk to my bum. (laughs) Could go a couple different ways with that acronym. I don't know which is worse. But, um, you know, the long and the short of it was everyone was being sent to assertiveness training, but then I was notified that I was not going to be able to go. And so to me, I'm like, instantly, like anyone else, my first thought was, did I do something wrong? Right? Because that's our first instinct. Like, what happened? What did I do? So I went to my bum. And now I'm saying it for a completely different reason. <laughs> yeah. I went to my bum. Put another three-letter word there instead. Exactly. But... <laughs> and, you know, I was like, I was just notified that I'm not going to be able to go to the assertiveness training with everyone else. And I'm wondering why and and what we need to do to fix this. Was this an oversight or what happened? And this is what I was told. He said, that's why you're not going. And I was just kind of like, at first, it didn't resonate, right? Because I'm like, I'm not sure that I understand. What I'm saying is, I want to go to the training that everyone else is going to. And I don't understand why I am not going. And this was a training, and it wasn't about female, male, right? Because there were other females that were going. And so I was told, you don't need assertiveness training. It's because of things where you'll come and you ask like this, why we don't need you to be more assertive. And I I sense now, looking back at it in reflection, I recognize that, A, that was so wrong. It was so wrong to single out one individual and not include them in the training that was being provided to every other employee that was taking that step, right? So I want to go on the record for saying it was wrong. And if this type of thing is happening to you or has happened to you and you're listening now, it is wrong, right? And I'll tell you that for me, I looked at that and I could have taken it as a compliment, but I recognized that I was being left out of something. And to me, as I look at that and I look at where I am now, what I saw is they didn't want me speaking up for myself and that the thought of me learning additional skills to be able to speak up before myself was even more scary to them. Yeah, they were scared. that... Cowards. Oh, yes, Dana. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) That that was cowardly of an organization to brand an employee who clearly had met certain expectations to be able to get the promotion 
to then deny me of the training that every other employee taking that step was getting. And so I say that to say, my gut at that moment, let's go back to trust yourself, was that this is a bad thing and I need to walk away from this. I I need to get out of this. I didn't like how it felt, but I didn't feel empowered at that time. I didn't feel as though... I could speak up beyond that at that time. I didn't know what other options. And Dana, you brought up a point. There's always options. At that time, I did not know what the other options could be. And I thought I had to take it. And so I did. I stayed, right? But that whole I didn't get to go to assertiveness training has been a propelling force for me going forward where it's like, you may have denied me one class, but you will never stop me from speaking up for myself or for others and for advocating for what is right and for ensuring that we as women, all women, have the the tools, the security, and the voice to make sure that we never allow another bum to stop us from getting what we need. Damn bums. <laughs> Damn bums. That's really powerful. Yeah. Really powerful I've statement. had so many goosebumps during this podcast recording. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, wow. man. Just think-, think about it. We sent forth, I've not forgotten, it was 12 people. And I was the only one that wasn't allowed to go. I just don't even know how you can say the words out loud and do it and feel okay with yourself at night, right? Like, and maybe the bum actually had no real choice either. Maybe it came from above, who knows? Either way though, like how do you live with yourself? I mean, we all make mistakes, but this, those kinds of things are innate in an organization, right? They grow and they fester and it's kind of everywhere. And it's just not, it's just not the kind of place anybody wants to work at. Not now. Not, yeah, not, everyone's done now, right? It's like, Every, it's done. Right now, done. at that time, there have been multiple things that have happened over the course of my career that if they had taken place now, right, it would be a completely different story. I would sound an alarm. I would speak up. I would make a stump speech about it. I mean, the whole nine. But imagine, and I may have shared this story with you where you were sent overseas, I was sent overseas to run a customer journey mapping session and drop my pen. And I bend down to get my pen from under the table. And the joke was, oh, I thought you bent down to shine my shoes. And I was A, mortified, mortified, well within my rights to have flipped the hell out. Let me just be very clear. I was well within my rights. However, there becomes this other weight of when I do flip out, I become what they're already trying to say I am to them. (sighs) I could potentially be damaging my career because you rail against big corporate as an individual. Don't ever think that you can't get blackballed. It happens, right? So at that time, my perspective was I need to think bigger picture of how I'm going to be able to provide for my family maintain my dignity and respect, right? And be able to get through this. I could have dissolved into tears. I would have had every right. I could have flipped. I would have had every right. But I perceived that it wouldn't have served me well in the bigger picture. Now, I don't know, maybe looking back, maybe I could have done something differently. But at that time, my perspective was I have to maintain bigger picture because I need to live through this battle so I can go and stop the whole goddamn war. Yeah. And I think the more we talk about those kinds of scenarios, and I know Dana and I really appreciate you sharing, the more we talk about it, the more that people will realize that this stuff still happens, right? And that it's not okay. And that as women, as people of color, as as anyone to stand up and say, it's not okay. It's not okay to talk to me that way. You want to know what's crazy, Carrie? You mentioned Tracy Eiler earlier. We have our most current findings from our Women in Revenue annual survey. And I'm not going to give, I won't give it away, but I was literally shocked to see that sexual harassment 
is still popping up as a major challenge for women as they're attempting to navigate their careers. What the hell? Yeah. I look back in my career and think about the number of sexual innuendos, the things people said in the workforce to me. I had a boss who would leave flyers for things on my desk. I think like back... And it was just part of the culture. And so, but it still is, is what we're hearing, which is just so unbelievable. And it's so not okay. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. And same thing, just didn't say anything young, right? You just, you let it happen because you didn't know what else to do and if it was okay to say anything and how do I move out of my career? And if I could just get the next promotion, I won't be working for him anymore and be out of there and the things that happen. But I mean, like, yeah, the number of things that I just... Yeah. That feeling that I described, that you just described, this is where organizations, and yes, shameless plug is about to happen. This is where organizations like Women in Revenue fill in that gap so that women know, A, you are not alone. B, you have support and a network to help you and to be empowered, to own your voice, and to be able to navigate these difficult challenges, but to also be able to identify organizations like our sponsors that are leaning in and making a difference in creating new and different work experiences that are better aligned for all people. And so, again, this is where being a part of a community becomes powerful because no woman is an island and we are not alone. I love it. I love it. Well, I guess with that note, Deanna, thank you so much. We're so honored and privileged to have you join us. Also knowing how busy you are, you got lots of exciting things happening at Women in Revenue. Can't wait to hear about the survey and some of your plans for the rest of the year. But wow, this has been amazing, very enlightening and and hopefully helpful. And hopefully our listeners can take to heart a lot of the stuff that you've shared. This has been therapy for me. I'm like, we could talk for another <laughs> hour. I'm like, this has just been like, yes. Thank you, Deanna. We really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And I didn't even bounce on my bouncy ball. So uh, give a quick bounce in. <laughs> I saw so a little funny. bounce. I saw a little bounce. It was really cute. It was really Thank cute. Thank you so much. <laughs> and that's as real as it's getting with this episode. Thanks for joining hosts Dana Harder and Carrie Baldwin with Unreal Digital Group. And this podcast, Marketing Gets Real, where we get rid of the filters and chat with B2B marketers about real life stories of successes, failures, and everyday adventures. If you're loving these oh shit, tell it how it is type of conversations, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.